Welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. I'm Ben Simon. I'm Jesse Spur. I'm Jess Stokes Parish, and you're listening to Simulcast. Connecting the healthcare simulation community. So welcome to Simulcast and welcome to our next in our advances in simulation collaboration. We're going to be featuring an article related to obstetric neonatal emergency simulation workshops in remote and regional South India. And this is a paper that was published recently in advances. And I'm here today with two of the authors who I will introduce uh, in a minute. But just by way of reminding our simulcast listeners, this is a collaboration we've got going with the Advances in Simulation Journal, a free and open access sim journal. And uh, if I will put the link to this paper in the show notes, but this is a paper by Zong et al., uh, just recently in the journal. So with me today, Atul Malhotra and Arunas Kumar. Now I'll introduce them both. Atul, he's a consultant neonatologist at Monash Children's Hospital and also an associate professor of research in the Department of Pediatrics at Monash. Uh, he's also the co-chair of Monash Children's Simulation and a co-founder, relevant to today, of the One Sim Education. How are you, Atul? Thank you very much, Vic. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, uh, looking forward to discuss this paper and the one sim with you. Excellent, excellent. And uh, joining him is Arunaz Kumar, who's a consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist in Melbourne and an associate professor and evaluation lead of the MD program at Monash. Uh, and her interests include interprofessional and simulation-based health professional education. And of course, she is also a co-founder of One Sim Education. Uh, how are you, Arunaz? Thank you, Victoria. Uh, really a privilege to be here and be able to talk about the program and interprofessional simulation with the audience. Yes, well, this uh, paper caught my interest because it is so interesting. And I think it's a setting in which some of our simulcast listeners are familiar, but not all. So I was wondering if we could wind back a little bit and maybe at all you could start telling us uh, a little bit about your role as a clinician and educator and uh, how you came to be involved in obstetric and neonatal sim training in India. So, so Vic, uh, I'm a neonatologist and uh, in Australia, as you know, most of the neonatal care we provide are to very preterm or very sick infants in tertiary level neonatal uh, facilities like I have at Monash in Melbourne. I'm also uh, an educator and have been involved in, obviously, medical student and trainee education over the years. How I got involved with uh, SIM in India was that uh, I'm a, I'm a sci- clinician scientist and I, I do research on a number of uh, neuroprotective therapies. And one of those therapies uh, we were trying to translate in low middle income countries. So this is way back in 2013 or so. We got a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with my colleagues at uh, Monash University. And to translate that, I traveled to India. Now, obviously, both me and Arunas are from India. So it was natural for us to choose India to try to translate that therapy. So I traveled with a couple of my colleagues, not Arunas, but a couple of my scientist colleagues to India to try to see if we can set up this translation work of this neuroprotective therapy. And what we did was we engaged with communities. We went to villages, we went to district hospitals, we went to community hospitals, and we tried to engage with the consumers there. The consumers being obviously the patients, but also the healthcare providers. And we started to talk about therapy for that particular translation, which was based on birth asphyxia or hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. And during that time, I held a workshop for 
healthcare providers about how to recognize that a baby is sick at birth with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy what followed from that workshop was that the participants of the workshop said that this is all well and good but it will be great if you can do resuscitation training for us so that kind of hit the nail on the head for me that okay hold on we need to go back to basics here these people mm. uh, in these settings uh, although they're doing a great job of you know looking after these women and babies they need more education so that's how i said we need to work on sim training and because i was already involved in sim in australia i i came across to arunas from that trip in india and i said arunas we need to do uh, obstetric and neonatal uh, training there because that's what the people on the ground are asking for so it's an interesting journey which followed yeah how interesting so and it's a bit of an unusual path isn't it uh, starting with the clinical outcomes and clinical research and then winding that back and going well one of the determinants of those outcomes are the skills and capabilities of the teams who are caring for the women and for these babies uh can i ask you did, had you ever worked clinically in india yes so both me and arnas attended medical school in india and uh, that's where we met uh and we went on to do postgraduate training in india so we did our early years of junior residency in india and then we had left india so both of us had experience of working albeit in uh one hospital obviously because we had left 3 years after our medical school uh but uh, we had experience of what is uh i guess working in an indian setup like uh while we worked in an urban setting in india uh it was still we had a good feel of what their training levels are like obviously mm-hmm. the gap between us working in india and us starting training was more than 10 years <laughs> but uh, it's still we we had a bit of a feel of what the environment was like yeah absolutely i had a feel for the context well if i can ask you arunas a similar kind of back story to you although you weren't involved in this research it sounds like you quickly got involved in the next steps I've been involved in simulation based teaching for a while now um Victoria with a background of looking after medical students at Monash University and then so we started a program co- called Wipples which is women's health into professional learning through simulation and that program caught on really well because we started to include both medical and midwifery students at Monash University uh this is all at the undergraduate level of course and um, um but that sort of um, underpins my interest in sim based team training when we saw the connections there that doesn't matter what teams they consist of whether it's you know undergraduate or clinicians in practice somehow the problems are the same you know when mm-hmm. we've gone overseas to india we noticed oh my god there is so much of work to be done here in low to middle income countries this they haven't even heard of it they've not heard of simulation or had any experience with it and are thrown to the deep end um directly mm-hmm. in practice where they may be left unsupported to manage these situations. Mm. So this is interesting isn't it and I think this is one of the things that our listeners will be particularly interested in is that many of the principles as you say are sound but they do need translating then to this context which it sounds like you were uh, had a very deep understanding of and developed even further understanding of obviously through this process just to really dig a little deeper on that uh, one of you could perhaps paint us a bit of a picture of what maternity and neonatal care in india kind of looks like and uh, a, a couple of maybe examples of what the constraints and opportunities in which those uh, healthcare colleagues of ours in, in india work india is a vast country uh, in fact i would say it's many countries cobbled up together because all of those states in india 
have different languages, different uh, jurisdictions, obviously, and the way they go about their business of healthcare when it comes to, let's say, obstetrics and childbirth is quite varied. So, and that's one of the reasons Vic, that we have been kind of traveling to different parts of India to get a feel for ourselves. How can we integrate this into a larger, uh, you know, uh, kind of platform? But what we've learned is that uh, at the rural level, they have what is called primary healthcare centers. And uh, what India has done really well over the last decade or two has been to institutionalize all childbirths. So they have encouraged women to come to hospitals to deliver or give birth. You know, so I think that's a really good starting point. So that has avoided the traditional birth attendants delivering those babies at home. Because as you know, birth can sometimes go wrong or have major emergencies. So, so that's their starting point. Now, those mm-hmm, institu- mm-hmm. those institutional childbirths, uh, I might uh, I might not be exact in numbers, but they are reaching seventy to eighty percent of births mm-hmm. of India are in institutions. The institutions which they deliver or birth in are very varied. So they might be a community health center, they might be a regional hospital, they might be a tertiary care center. So it is quite varied, and we have tried to visit during our years of once in all kinds of setups. So mm-hmm. they have their own challenges. So some of them have only a single doctor available. They might have midwives or traditional birth attendants perform the role of the midwife. They might have nursing staff perform the role of the midwife because India to date does not have a, a midwifery program of its own. There are some centers in India, in Hyderabad and others, which have started midwifery programs. But generally, midwifery in India is through the nursing course. So you have to do a bachelor's of nursing degree. And during one of those years, you will do midwifery focused care. So so there's a lot of challenges and a lot of differences of how care is, I guess, delivered in that setting as compared to somewhere like Australia. So uh, we need to go and look at the various gaps in all of those setups. And what OneSim does, I think, and, you know, we are a bit biased, obviously, it, it does beautifully is that it can fill those gaps irrespective of the setting. And we published our first paper of once in, in midwifery in 2019, and we had done it in different setups. And we found that the learning and the challenges were very similar. Hmm. Okay, so this is really interesting, isn't it? So it sounds like there are some structural changes going on in, in uh, birthing services in India that are helping to improve things. But I think what you say about consistency, both of training and of care delivery, is, is a real challenge, isn't it? And I did uh, take the chance to try and update my knowledge of Indian geography by looking at the three sites that you had talked about in the paper. And, uh, yeah, some of them are definitely quite remote. One of them looked particularly beautiful. Uh, Manar in Kerala State looked like a gorgeous place, but quite remote from big cities. And the population is distributed as well. So this is uh, important. All right, well, uh, maybe, Arunaz, then you can tell us a little bit more about going deep on the OneSim workshop, the design, and, and how you landed on what you did. So the uh, OneSim, that's an acronym for Obstetric and Neonatal Emergency Simulation, a term coined by one of our helpers in India itself. We started off by casually teaching, as Atul described before, and then, you know, we realized that uh, it's the same problems everywhere, no matter which which state, as you said, it's such a huge country and uh, diverse, um, which health setup you go to, the problems are similar, focusing both on behavioral learning objectives, but also clinical skills. 
That's a really important point, isn't it? Because I think what we might underestimate sometimes is the transferability of clinical skills between settings. So if you take your students, for example, uh, they might learn some of their emergency skills that are more related to, say, on the ward emergencies, but they still translate to when they're trying to deal with obstetric and neonatal emergencies. They're not perfect, but there are some generic skill sets. And that's that's what you said you know, before, the context matters. So where clinical skills are a gap, then we thought that, you know, we have to try and bridge that gap, but they go hand in hand, I think. So you can't separate the clinical and behavioral skills uh, from each other. The key investment, I think, in the once in program is spending that time uh, understanding the system, understanding what are the gaps in an individual space, and then tailoring that teaching based on what those gaps are. And so it's very important mm-hmm. to then understand that system that what is what is it that's, um, you know, creating those gaps. And that was one of the research questions in the program as well. You know, so we can mm-hmm. we always start off with that, spend a few days with the teams, understanding them, liaising with them. And the other um, principle that we think works with one sim is uh, it's it, we are not going to go there and make any be able to make any changes right it's the the leaders there so it's co-facilitated and uh, co-designed by the by the leaders there yeah and that seems really important i noticed that in that you're there but it is in conjunction with the local practitioners who can both fill in the gaps during the workshops, but obviously hope to continue to translate the messages long after the workshop is over. And I think that's hugely important because I'm sure there's different thresholds for people uh, if there's an option to transfer patients to a larger centre or if there's an option to call for different kinds of help. And although role allocation might be a good idea, that might look very different if you've got a team of two or three or if you are lucky enough to be in a centre where there might be some more uh, formal expertly trained uh, personnel to draw upon. For example, we've run the one some workshops in center which do not have cesarean facilities. So they, do, they mm-hmm. do not have a theater set up. And those centers obviously refer very early. So what they deal with is things like postpartum hemorrhage. So they are, they are not going to deal with second stage cesarean sections or you know difficult births mm-hmm. or something like that. They will just deal with different problems as compared to some centers who do have theater facilities. So I think that, that mm-hmm. kind of setup and... The core design is really important. Mm-hmm. So just I'm just quoting from your paper here. So it looks like these workshops are four-hour training workshops been in some quite re- remote locations, uh, low-technology, low-maintenance mobile simulation equipment that can fit into a suitcase, uh, and then you can set it up very quickly for multi-professional teams. Is that, have we got the kind of picture of what one of these sessions look like and how many people would come along to one of these? So um, it's. Um, I'd like to just add a bit here that even though it sounds, um, they are low technology and low maintenance, but it's not low fidelity. It's realistic and it does the job what it's meant to do. And the fact that you can transfer them from one space to another um, in, a, you know, in the back of a car, it makes it really easy for us to set up that mobile workshop and takes about half an hour or so to set it up. But the real investment mm-hmm. is obviously in the flexibility in return retaining that flexibility in scenario design, which then is based upon the context and uh, and how participants are likely to respond to that sort of learning. This is beautifully aligned with lots of trends that we're seeing with people getting uh, technology and equipment that is appropriate for the tasks that people are talking about. And I agree. I think we've kitted ourselves about what we've needed in many situations. And uh, complex technology is sometimes quite a distraction and not really helpful in terms of achieving aims. 
Uh, this this is a little bit of a sideline, but your comments about having people birthing in centres where there's limited resources makes me wonder if you uh, have scenarios that involve poor outcomes and having to deal with that as a team and as uh, the women and families with that might involve. Uh, is that is that discussed in the workshop? Yeah, so we actually touched upon it with some of the leaders there and they felt that because in many of those places we have run it only once, they said probably just leave it for now. But there have been centers where we've gone multiple times. We have a very good collaborator in Uttar Pradesh, which is not covered in this paper, uh, where we've gone back year and year after. So we've been going there for four or five years. And in fact, we published our one-year experience with them as well, what they learned one year on from the workshops. And over there, we have been more game to take on more challenging simulations and debriefs. But uh, as you can understand, we want to get the participants on board first. And many of these places... They've been very lucky. They haven't seen major, uh, you know, bad outcomes because they are so small that they give birth to, let's say, 300 women in a year and they transfer very early. So we felt that it was probably not necessary to talk about, you know, really bad outcomes at the first go. But yeah, it's a very important point. Mm, and uh, I imagine there's probably some other things that are quite different in terms of the patient population. You wouldn't have so many people presenting who have, for instance, uh, assisted reproduction babies or not too many first-time mothers who are over the age of 35. Uh, you know, like you've probably got some things on your side, actually. When yeah. and, and they refer very early. So if they find any high-risk factors, they would send it to the tertiary centre. And, and what we've done, Vic, is that some of the tertiary centres, especially in Delhi, Mumbai and others, actually do simulation. So they are involved in simulation. So we haven't tried to kind of, you know, teach them how to do it ourselves because I think they know how to do it. But what is interesting is, and we are working on it, is that they do not do obstetric and neonatal simulation together. And I, I'll just like to add something here. Even in Australia, not many people do obstetric and neonatal simulation together. And what was really fascinating and really proud moment for us was that we moved the OneSim workshop from India to Australia. So we run OneSim workshop in Australia. And I think Monash is one of the only centers in Australia which is doing it. We have a workshop in a couple of days, actually. And what it shows is that how you can transfer the learning from a high-income setting to a low-income setting, but bring it back to a high-income setting. So we we now have OneSim in Australia where we bring everyone together, the anesthetist, the ED doctors, because sometimes births happen in ED. We have the, obviously, obstetric maternity staff and neonatal staff there anyway. So that's really, I think, shows that how you can learn from each other. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, that's a lovely example of the bi-directionality. Uh, I don't know if you listened to an episode I did with a woman called Sorsan Abdul-Rozik uh, from the United Arab Emirates where she was talking about globalization of health professions education and uh, we discussed how there was this idea of the magnanimous Western medicine coming in to help the lower middle-income countries where she also said there was a lot that came back the other direction and she also was someone who was from the Cleveland Clinic but also um, had grown up in uh, UAE. So this is, uh, I think, another great example of that. And as you say, sometimes smaller rural places and even close to home, I know here in Australia, those centres have a lot to teach us about more multidisciplinary training because they have to. They just don't have the critical mass of neonatal trainees to all get together and not work with the obstetric trainees. So this is hugely important. All right, well, I suppose we should talk about the study now uh, and 
I'm going to sort of quote from the paper, uh, you aimed to explore the factors which influenced healthcare worker experience of attending birth emergencies in rural and remote areas of South India and the perceived impact of attending these one sim workshops. And this was a qualitative descriptive study using both pre and post workshop surveys. And uh, you got uh, 85 participants who pre- uh, completed both of these surveys and uh, they included medical and nursing staff and other health professionals. All right, well, uh, maybe uh, Arun, as you can tell us a little bit about the background to the actual study part of this and then what you found. So um, as I said before, um, it's always good to start understanding the problems. And so that's why the two research questions were tagged together, um, just so that we want to make sure that we are not trying to answer something that's actually not a problem here. Um, so the first question was about what are the challenges that um, that the birth attendants or the local faculty face um, in terms of delivering obstetric and neonatal care. And the the results weren't surprising because the focus was on um, lacking after-hours support. There are times when uh, midwives and birth attendants can't get doctors in only because there's just one doctor on call the whole time. And so um, in a rural place like that, you, um, it would be very difficult to, um, if they're able to come, they'll come really quickly. But if they're not there, then there's no one. So they have to manage those uh, situations independently. The other thing was about material resources as well. So, you know, lacking power and um, water supply and all those sorts of things can sometimes be an issue. But I think what what the program really helps in is utilizing those resources to an optimal limit and being able to work within those resources. So, you know, which is why that flexibility in the structural design is so, so important. And I think somehow in the, you know, how you said the higher income countries, we kind of tend to lose that here because we get very textualized or, um, um, Mm. you know, automated in our teaching because we've done it so long. Yeah, and we make some assumptions about what those resources are, which we're fortunate to have. Uh, yeah, so this is super interesting. So as I said, this, the pre-surveys were really about understanding the context, and I'm just going to again sort of quote from your paper. And it was interesting because the themes included their relationship with the patient, uh, the support provided by other health professionals, but also what the gaps in knowledge were and the scarcity of resources. And so these were the things that influenced their experience. So it's interesting, although we've concentrated a fair bit on the difference in context, it also seems there's some things that are very fundamental and would cross um, between, say, our local context here and the one you're describing there in terms of that very patient or woman-focused perspective and the team being a really important part of the people's experience. And and so those are things that, yes, we, we have to some extent dealt with, uh, you know, in a high-income country, um, like team, um, building those team strengths and uh, communications and, you know, role allocations, being able to prioritize early and address those concerns. Um, while, um, you know, there are places that haven't heard of that. And, you know, this was one mm. of them, like none of these places had actually thought about how you could optimize that that management in, in that setting. Uh, some institutions even quoted that this was the first time they've done anything together, any kind of learning opportunity with their doctors. So they mm-hmm. hadn't ever been trained. It was always uniprofessional. Um, that mm-hmm. at the undergrad levels, because they, there wasn't any kind of a uh, professional development or things required mm. in practice. Yeah. And this seems to be a 
challenge across healthcare contexts the world over, doesn't it? This siloing of professions, and I'm not sure how we took that path so wrongly and at what point we did that, but it seems now we're all trying very hard to try and address that, but it's interesting that that is uh, across contexts. Uh, the post-surveys then unsurprisingly said, hey, this was great, uh, but it went a little bit deeper on that and talked about, I think, quite a focus, as is obviously in the workshop, about teamwork uh, and about people getting confidence in order to do that. Were there any sort of surprises in there or other thoughts that you got out of the post-workshop surveys? What I found interesting was how uh, the participants differentiate their individual learning from a team-based learning which are which somehow sometimes get mixed up you know when they are talking about behavioral skills um but learning and to reflect on that individual behavior and thinking about how i can do this better in my own practice as opposed to okay we are going to do this together and learn are two separate things and this is what came out as really interesting because they and 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 that's how we separated the two themes there were instances where participants talked about how uh, you know their own practice they were anxious about it and were surprised that others are also having a similar situation but then you know they may have different ways to address their own learning gaps and I, and I think we've known this about simulation as well, haven't we, that it is also a very good way for people to identify learning needs that they have. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with people going off and working on their individual knowledge and skills because those ultimately are um, big contributors to any team performance as well. And one thing I for our simulcast listeners that I've kind of glossed over here is, is a lovely description of the methods and we can tell uh, Arunas and her team have worked at the feet of Deborah Nestel and got some very lovely rigour in the way that they did their thematic analysis and so I would recommend reading the paper if only to read that as well. Uh, Atul, can I ask you the same question? Were you surprised or what did you particularly find interesting in the findings of the surveys? Wherever we have uh, conducted the workshop. The feedback is generally very similar. So the problems are very similar. The feedback is also very similar when it comes to that everyone takes out, uh, like you discussed, what they would like to learn from it and how they would apply uh, that learning. When we uh, conducted a long-term paper a few years ago of how that influenced their practice, we, we've got a, a feel of that as well. And the feel is that when they encounter the scenario in real life, the one sim memories come flooding back. And I think that's what sim is about, isn't it? It's absolutely about transferability into practice. So we know that they will definitely remember that. What is also fascinating for some of these people I found is that they find that interaction, like Arna said, my doctor, who I only see in real life in a clinical situation, was learning with me. And they remember that. And... Uh, I don't know if you know the Indian context. Indian, the Indian health system is a very hierarchical system and maybe we have a similar system in some of, of the Western uh, contexts as well, but they regard the doctors as very high. So they would just follow whatever the doctor says. But when they learn together, they can see that that the learning is not just about what the doctor says, but what is best practice. So I think that, mm. that, that I, I thought that was a really very nice uh, reflection. This empowers the midwifery workforce these well informal or uh, relatively more uh, more organized teaching opportunities give them an uh, a way um, an outlet to be able to dis, you know talk to their the medical clinicians and bridge that gap um, in their communication which was really interesting that you know that otherwise they won't even talk about it together yeah and did you have midwives as part of your local faculty 
yes, always a midwifery mm-hmm. and a medical facilitator. And because that's that's the again the thing about interprofessionality that it's not just about the learners; it's all also mm-hmm. about the faculty as well. It is very important to retain that interprofessional faculty to somehow maintain that equity and uh, flatten the hierarchy. Mm. Oh no, it sends a very powerful message. I think so. Super important. All right. Well, I guess uh, I've got to think about where to from here. So it seems like you've got a couple of different directions. One is where do you go with the one sim workshops and one is where do you go in your next steps for scholarship and research? Uh, maybe we can look at the first one first. Where, where now for the one sim workshops? The pandemic has offered its opportunities. We couldn't travel. So there's been, um, you know, a bit of a gap in that. However, it's offered its opportunities as well because everything was forced to go online. And especially places like India that have been heavily hit by COVID, um, their local faculty were also not able to teach um, mm. any, um, you know, and that, that's for the undergrads and, and for clinicians practice. So everything went online. And through that, we've discovered, and that's been published elsewhere as well, but we found ways to um, to run these workshops online. And again, use that co-facilitator design. So while we are here in Australia and the faculty, interprofessional faculty are there in their homes and the learners as well, we are all, you know, sort of learning together. And the design... Oh, I'm amazed. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a huge learning opportunity for us as well. Yeah, I'm amazed at a couple of levels because uh, the context you describe, I'm impressed that they've got the IT infrastructure to support that, which is fantastic. Uh, and the second is, you know, I, I've seen a lot of really good descriptions of pandemic-induced uh, pivoting uh, in simulation, but this is one where I thought, oh, I'm surprised that is working. So well done. Congratulations. Yeah, and, and what we're doing uh, with Next is that now that COVID is hopefully settling down, or at least for now, what we're doing is we are getting the local faculty where we have actually a couple of setups already uh, with our teams, collaborators there, that they will run the workshops in person and we will co-facilitate online so that the debriefs can happen together, but they have the equipment to give the skills training. So the skills training will happen. So that, that's our next uh, step from a research, but also critical delivery point of view. But uh, one of the things I want to add to Arunas is that uh, is what we are doing in Australia itself is we are obviously continuing work in India and we have collaborators in Africa and other places. But in Australia, we are taking one sim to rural and remote locations as well because obviously the pandemic meant that we couldn't travel overseas enough, So, but we can still travel in Australia. So we are going into regional communities, especially the Aboriginal communities in Western Australia, Queensland and others. So that's really something to look forward to because I think they are again probably not getting enough education and you can never have enough education. Arunas, what about for research and scholarship? Uh, It seems as though you've got an endless supply of exploring different issues within these contexts, but uh, what are you hoping to do? So uh, the next steps, uh, Victoria, um, is again linked to the, you know, what we just talked about. It's, um, I think uh, I'm really enjoying exploring the hybrid simulation uh, aspect of it, where you can combine the online with the face-to-face learning and, um, you know, how that explores behavioral change. The other key for us is sustainability. So using different frameworks to um, evaluate, you know, how can you make this sustainable? And so empowering the local communities, I think, is a major step for the growth of OneSims. We work with a lot of um, organizations, charity organizations that have been very kind to support and fund 
uh, for simulators that, you know, the those suitcase fitting ones. Uh, and so we've actually uh, been privileged to have left some of those simulators um, in, in some places mm-hmm. in India, the, like Atul mentioned, the one in Uttar Pradesh, where we have an annual commitment to teach them. And so they will be running their own um, simulation mm-hmm. tied us uh, to us through an online format. So I'm really excited yeah. to explore those side of things through the research. Yeah. Yeah, sustainability, scalability. Again, these are sort of generic issues facing everybody, but it's got some unique context there. Well, I certainly hope that uh, you keep publishing some of this work in advances in simulation, although it would also be appropriate to mention that the new International Journal of Healthcare Simulation, which includes the Indian Simulation Societies, their partners might also be the beneficiary of some of this work, but at Simulcast, we'll continue to follow wherever you publish. So look, I just want to thank you both, both for the work that you're doing uh, and for sharing it with us in both Advances in Simulation and here on Simulcast today. I think what I've taken away from this is really a rigorous idea about exploring the context in which our simulation participants work so that we can really direct our uh, education, training and quality improvement simulation at those tasks. And I think you've given us a nice illustration of uh, embedding yourself in that context and being able to do just that and then also being prepared to rigorously reflect on that through a research framework so uh, just thank you both for your time it's been lovely thank, thank you. you so much thanks so much victoria for the opportunity thank you for listening to simulcast 